Hello and welcome to EIP Talks, a podcast usually focusing on patent news, trends and insights. I'm Natalie Falls and I'm joined by my colleague and friend, Rosie McDowell. Today, we're focusing on a topic close to our hearts, women in science. The 11th of February was adopted by the UN General Assembly as the International Day of Women and Girls in Science. And the reason behind it is simple. Women are underrepresented in STEM, both on academic and professional levels. Indeed, only 35% of STEM students in higher education in the UK are women. Within the workforce, in 2019, there were 1 million women working in the STEM sector compared to 3 million men. We're expecting updated statistics this year, and we know the numbers are improving, but equality is still out of reach. So we need to keep the conversation alive. Our aim today is to talk about how we ourselves got to where we are in our careers. We'll signpost some of the uphill battles, but also highlight the opportunities that come along the way. It's a journey, but we think it's worth it. We hope to inspire some of our listeners to not just persevere with your choices, but also realise that there are some great career routes to take up. For instance, becoming a patent attorney, which is a not very well-known career. And um, I personally think that it's quite family friendly compared to some others. Let's start with some intros. Natalie, do you want to go ahead and give a bit about your background? Sure, yes. So I'm a UK and European patent attorney at EIP. I mainly focus in like software, computing, implemented inventions. Um, And I'm now, I think I'm in my 10th year of the profession, which is mad when you think about it. Um, Yeah, and I did physics at uni, which we'll discuss in a little bit. How about you, Rosie? I'm also a UK and European patents attorney at EIP. I am a biochemist. I did a degree and a PhD in biochemistry before becoming a patent attorney, taking out maternity leave, etc. I think I'm about seven or eight years in. Um, I (laughs) I must count that. Um, uh, Outside of work, um, I've got a two-year-old girl and I've got another baby on the way as well. And I know, Natalie, you've got a little boy who's just a little bit younger than my daughter. Yeah, he's 18 months now. That's right. Yeah, so both yeah. of us have recently, both, both of us have recently had experience of um, going on maternity leave and then returning to work and uh, juggling childcare. Although we haven't quite reached the school stage where I think it might be even more challenging. But um, yeah, we we can discuss that a little bit later and give our give our thoughts on being parents of young children while having a career in STEM. Yeah, definitely. So we could probably start from the beginning and discuss a little bit about how we got into our chosen scientific fields. For me, I kind of always enjoyed the sciences in school and I liked physics in particular because it seemed to give me a broad understanding of how things work across a variety of fields. Um, and I also like maths, which helps because there's a lot of it going on in physics. I did really like English Lit, to be honest, at A-levels. And there was a bit of a moment where I was like, shall I follow my heart and go with English literature at uni? Uh, but in the end, I kind of thought with my head a little bit and thought ahead really to future career prospects and sided with going with physics. And then, yeah, my family itself is quite sciencey. My brother did a chemistry degree and he's now a software developer. And then my sister, she did a cell and molecular biology degree and is now a vet. So both of them kind of 
had a change of vision, but they've stuck within science. Um, so yeah, it was nice to have siblings who also had a curiosity in the sciences because it led to quite interesting discussions around the dinner table and it still happens now when we all get together. How about you, Rosie? Where did you start? Um, similar to you, I had quite a broad range of interests when I was at school and you know, I was, I was very into languages and I did Latin and I really loved art and but I'd, I'd read The Selfish Gene by Richard Dawkins when I was coming up to doing my GCSEs and that really sparked a proper interest in science. I was still very close to doing art as an A-level, but my whole family are very creative and pretty much everybody before me has have been to art college and they, you know, they're architects, they're designers, at those kinds of professions. And it, I think it was my mum that persuaded me to do the science because she, she knew that I had an actual interest in it. She was of the opinion that she could teach me art or that I could just do art myself and I didn't need to be taught it. Don't actually agree with that at all because it's about, you know, having the opportunity and time to do it, which is what art college gives you. But yeah, so when it, when it came to picking my degree, I just went with what I was most interested in at the time. And that was neuroscience, organically into doing more and more biochemistry until I ended up a biochemist. And then graduating university that was 2009 and everybody knew what happened then there were no jobs for any of us and I had the opportunity to do a PhD and I snapped it up so it was more of an economic decision for me to do a PhD rather than born out of real interest which is probably why I struggled so much with it so I managed to get all the way through that and that's how I got into biochemistry and got out of it again (laughs) So for you then, did you experience any kind of gender imbalance at uni or in your PhD? I know we've discussed this a little bit before and we've kind of had opposite experiences um, with it. So it'd be interesting to, to chat about. So in biochemistry and the biological subjects in general, there, there tends to be a, a bit more of women that enter those fields. And when I was doing my PhD in my honours year, there were actually about 15 women and just, just one guy. So that was really weighted in the other direction that you would expect. But I think that's quite typical of biology. And it was the same when I was doing my PhD as well. Most of us were women. What I did notice, though, in terms of gender imbalance is in academia, I don't have much experience in industry, so I don't know if this is true across the board, but certainly in academia and in the department that I was in, uh, most of the PIs, that's principal investigators, um, those who head up the labs they were almost exclusively men apart from uh, one woman who didn't have any children so that was quite stark and given that there were so many PhD students and perhaps you know the number of PhD students had been increasing and that hadn't yet filtered through to the upper ranks of academia at the time when I was a PhD student maybe it's different now it seemed as though there was a lot of attrition going up the career ladder in academia um, from women and that's that's biology but I know it's it must be quite different in physics because I know that that is a lot more male dominated at university level. Yeah it's interesting really how the biology kind of side of the sciences gets more girls interested from the get-go at school level but yeah for me in physics at uni it was around I think it was like 90 or 95 percent male and that was really first noticeable when we just all had our first lecture together in the lecture theatre. And it was, it was a bit off-putting because I was kind of like, 
ooh, do I really fit the mould for this stereotypical physics person who's probably been doing coding and, you know, experiments and enjoying them throughout their teenage years? But on the whole, it didn't, apart from that first meeting, it didn't really affect me. I was kind of a bit apprehensive as to whether I'd make real friendships on the course because I was used to a relatively large girl group back at home. But in the end, two of my closest mates on the course were guys. Um, So yeah, it didn't really affect me. Um, How did you end up as a patent attorney then? So that was quite a short journey. I did a BSc physics degree at uni. Knew in my head that, you know, doing any more labs was just not what I wanted to do. Avoid at all costs. So I started looking elsewhere. I even considered, you know, the kind of generic grad schemes at bigger global companies. And then luckily for me, I attended a career fair where I met a lady who was promoting um, patent attorney careers. And I hadn't even heard of it at that stage, but she kind of joined the dots between my past love of English lit and that more creative side of me to the scientific role that had like taken over my life and my degree. So yeah, I went straight into a trainee patent attorney position in the September after I graduated. Um, And I think a lot of people in this profession have masters or PhDs. So it was slightly unusual to come straight from a BSD, but I think maybe more people are doing that route now. Did you, oh yeah, you did a PhD, didn't you? And then what made you look towards patent attorney from there? Yeah, totally the same as you. I had no idea that it existed as a profession at all until um, I, I think I was... Uh, feeling really fed up one lunchtime and wondering what I was going to do and talking to some some friends over over lunch about it and you know we were brainstorming what what else you could do with a PhD in our field and someone mentioned the idea of a patent attorney and I googled it after the lunch and from then on that's what I was going to do (laughs) it's just as soon as I read about it as soon as I was aware of it I was like yes that will do that sounds great yeah um and um yeah I mean part of part of what came into that was just having knowing that it was a career that there seemed to be some stability around so in in academia and this is going back to the attrition um as as you climb the career ladder in academia that I mentioned earlier once you've done your PhD Again, this isn't true of um, you know, if you go into industry, but um, many people think well, once you've done a PhD, the net obvious next step is to do a, a postdoc. And that's really fed into you when you're doing your PhD as well. That, you know, the, the, um, the valiant thing to do is to stay in academia and science and not cross over into industry. Um, and with the, the slight misconception that you've got more control over your research in academia, which I don't actually think you do. Um, but... Uh, when when you're a postdoc, you're typically working on contracts which don't last longer than about three years and you travel around different cities and universities and that's all throughout your mid to late 20s and into your 30s. And it's probably not until you reach your sort of early 40s before you've got any career stability and you're not applying for, you know, reapplying for jobs or applying for jobs, possibly at different universities the whole time. and. I, I, because I was, because I'd 
when I'd done the PhD, I was 25. I already knew that at some point I was going to want to have a family. So uh, my, my, my thoughts were, I, I do, I don't want to stay in academia. I'm either going to go into industry and have the stability of that or do something completely different. Um, and yeah, I mean, training to be a patent attorney is very difficult and it's still a good five years before you reach the stage where you probably have time to start a family. But um, it's certainly, certainly now is more, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a nice stable job. It's flexible. You don't have to make sure that you're in the lab at 9pm to do something with cells that can't wait. Um, uh, it's not always flexible. I mean, there's, there's definitely times and I, I know you work with clients in America, so end up late on calls with them. But in general, there's a lot more scope for flexibility and that makes it quite a lot more family friendly. Yeah, I agree. I think there's definitely flexibility in the role. And if you, it's very deadline driven, isn't it? So if you have an eye to what's coming up in the next few months, and I mean, that's a necessity. And you can kind of arrange your week to fit in pieces of work here and there and calls, like you say, which may need, you know, rearrangement of who's picking up from nursery. But generally, it all seems to be manageable. Um, but probably just moving on to discuss some of the challenges that women are faced within the scientific and legal fields. I think one of them is still having a lack of women or, you know, a kind of gender imbalance within a firm or a business when you're looking to apply for a job, especially in senior positions. You kind of want to see a representation of yourself in a firm to know, you know, I could belong there and, you know, they'll support me with my career, help me move up the ranks if that's what I want to do, support me with my life outside of work. So it's important to see that. And I think still it's not quite there at the moment, is it? No, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a bit of a way to go before there's, I mean, it's, um, maybe it's kind of similar to academia and that, you know, you, you, you get some attrition going up. I keep using that word, but um, you get pe- people either leaving the profession or else um, because they're maybe focusing more on their families and raising children, their career sort of stalls at a, a mid-level. Mm. Yeah, because like you said before, the first five years of this profession are pretty tough, aren't they? Because you're doing exact, you're working, doing exams you know, revising and everything else that comes with it outside of the general core office hours. So if you don't time that kind of correctly with when you're thinking about starting a family, then it can be really tough. And sometimes, you know, it stretches longer than those five years because you've chosen to have a bit of a break in the middle, have a baby. Um, So yeah, timing is, it's hard though, isn't it? Starting family, you can't always time it, but it's something to be aware of. Um, I do. I do know of people. I do know of um, women who have children um, and have managed to get through the exams at the same time. And I have so much respect for them because now that I have a child and realise how time-consuming it is and how much of your brain it occupies, um, I'm not quite sure how they did that. But and then I also know some. I know some people who 
um, have split up their exams and that's not just mothers it's fathers as well so maybe they've um, just focused on doing one or two papers per year and then just stretched out the period over which they're doing exams so they don't have to spend they don't have to lose an entire year to revision when their children are young yeah so I mean it's not it's not impossible to do it just you, when you're working and you've got kids at home and you haven't seen them all day the last thing you want to do is scroll yourself away and do more work yeah and I was thinking actually another kind of challenge for women and you know generally people coming into professions is kind of having an an obscure or unclear route to how you move from an entry-level position like for us it'd be training partner attorney up to like an associate senior associate up, even up to the partners if that is obscure I think it's harder to make progress because you're not sure what is expected of you and harder for others who are in a more senior level to see that you are actually progressing so transparency there would probably help and kind of encourage women to come into the profession I think there's one major challenge to facing women in science and legal fields um, and not just the science and legal fields but all all professional fields and I mean women in general and that's lack of affordability of childcare. and um, I know that you and I are quite lucky in that we're qualified patent attorneys so we have good salaries and affordability is not so much an issue for us but if I had if I had had a child before I qualified and my salary was you know in the, in the 40s or 30s I would have struggled to the extent that it probably wouldn't have been worth me working and I think that's that's the position that a lot of women end up in in that their salary only basically covers having their children looked after so whilst they're away from their children they're not actually getting any getting getting any financial advantage from that so they might as well just stay at home with the children yeah I um I did an NCT course when I was pregnant don't know if you did the same but um that had a mixture of couples on it and the women who I'm still in touch with now they were often trying to weigh up whether paying for someone else to look after your child whilst you're at work but not really coming out with a net gain in terms of money was worth it or not and I think especially in that first year when and being a new mum you're struggling in your head with like what should I be doing and I really want you know be want to spend time with my baby but does my career then suffer and obviously like pension contributions stop and everything like that if you're not working again so it's a real like kind of conflict in your head mm -hmm. and like yeah. when I went i down to three-day working week now which I think for me is a good balance because three days is definitely the minimum I think I'd want to do at work for in terms of handling cases and being present and you know up to date with the law and everything uh, but I do love having those two days off in the week just to be with Reuben and um, get that quality time that I think I would really miss mm -hmm. if I wasn't there again that's probably something that's quite particular to being on the legal side of things rather than being in academia for example where it's probably a lot more difficult 
to take time off um, and having to rely on colleagues to keep your experiments running, for example. Um, you know, we, we tend to be able to, unless we've got, you know, we can handle deadlines before they happen um, and work flexibly because of that. But um, yeah, it's, we're very, very lucky in a lot of ways. Um, so another thing we've been asked to talk about is um, whether we think the, or how, how do we think that the International Day of Women and Girls in Science and other such initiatives can help address the challenges of women in STEM? Yeah, so on this, I think having these types of initiatives is really good because firstly, it raises awareness um, because companies like us will do things like this to discuss the topic and generally try and identify ways to overcome the challenges that we were talking about earlier. So I think that's good. And I think it's beneficial because it kind of is a proactive way of making some change within business once you identify the challenges that women face. Um, I don't know if you have any other thoughts on that topic. I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's it's about having the conversation and an opportunity to have the conversation. Um, I mean, when you're just going about your working week, you can't, you're not going to continually flag up issues all the time. Uh, so having like a dedicated time to talk about um, problems that are encountered by women in STEM is, is probably quite a healthy thing. Yeah, definitely. And there's often not time, you know, internally within companies to set up meetings like this, is there? So it's a good driver for there to be kind of an external factor like this UN STEM day to really bring it to the forefront of um, the business. Um, okay, so I think we do have something to discuss on maybe imposter syndrome. Yeah, and whether we've come across it ourselves with it being at uni or now being in a career. Um, I think for me, university-wise, in the first year especially when I was kind of settling into this new course, trying to, you know, convince myself, yes, I've made the right decision to do physics. It kind of came and went, I think, because I was continuously comparing myself to others on my course who just seemed way cleverer than I was and who seemed to get the concepts a lot quicker. So I think that was the biggest struggle at uni, that first kind of year where I was really getting to grips with the different modules, especially some which are just so abstract and complicated like quantum physics. I just remember thinking, I'm never going to get my head around this. Um, and to kind of counter that, I just made sure I was discussing, you know, the tricky assignments you'd get, finding people in my peer group who I could discuss them with and actually realising, you know, it's not just me who thinks like this. This is tough for other people too. Um, and then at work, I think it comes in a little bit, again, the feeling of just, because we work with such bright people, don't we? And yeah, everyone's done like science degrees and done masters and PhDs and stuff. You can kind of feel out of your depth at times. And obviously the inventors we deal with, they're really clever um, coming up with all these innovations. So for me, it's more just making sure I'm really prepared for any client meetings or internal meetings where we're going to be getting into some really technical subject matter. 
Um, yeah. And then also just thinking like, it's actually okay if I don't know everything and just figuring out what I don't know is a really good starting point. Yeah, precisely. But then you also probably know a lot more about uh, a different area. I mean, I think there's this, I think um, imposter syndrome can arise because you think that if someone knows more about you, then they know everything that you know as well. And then extra. Whereas Mm. I think especially in our field, everybody has, everybody works um, on with different clients. They work on, they specialize in different subject matters. They encounter more frequently different areas of law so when you hear people talking about it you you automatically think wow you know so much I don't know about that but actually you probably know know more about them than in in some other area yeah that's true and you have to keep telling yourself that I think as well yeah 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 I have to tell myself that all the time (laughs) (laughs) Imposter syndrome for me has never really arisen because I'm a woman, I don't think. Like, I don't really, I don't feel as though I walk into a room of men and feel like I have to prove myself because I'm female. I don't think, I don't think it, I don't think it comes from that. If anything, it probably comes from the fact that I come from like quite a non-academic family background and, you know, I brought broad Northern Irish accent and maybe doesn't quite fit in with the, what, most other people in the patent profession are like probably comes more from that yeah yeah that's true um so yeah just jumping on to the next topic then maternity leave we've both taken it recently um we've both come back from it I'm about to take it take another maternity leave in in two weeks or in about two oh goodness it's like three weeks time um Gosh, yeah. You, do you think you're feeling more prepared this time than last time, or do you have different feelings about it? Um, it seems to have barreled upon me a lot quicker this time. The entire pregnancy's gone so much faster. Um, but yeah, so so I, I'm in in the midst of preparing to leave at the moment and having meetings with colleagues about files that I'll be handing over to them and um um. Like to, to me, the preparing to leave bit doesn't seem like there's that much difficulty with it. I don't know if your experience was different. How, how did yours go? Um, I think for me, like you say, it went slowly because um, at that late stage of your pregnancy, you're kind of just like, I want to meet my baby now. Um, so it was the counting down, which seemed to go quite slowly and just having that kind of shrinking window of time to get stuff done. Was it during the pandemic as well? Were you at home most of the time? Yeah, I think I was, but I think it was the stage where you could still come in if you wanted to on nominated days or something like that. So I did do that just so I had a break from being at home. Mm -hmm. I think lockdown definitely made mine crawl quite a lot. Yeah, Uh, but I think I... I remember reaching out to my manager and just having a sit down and thinking like, okay, how much time do we have and how many deadlines do we need to meet? And kind of offloading some of the work before I'd actually gone. So you could do a really thorough like handover to the next attorney who's picking up that case. Mm. That really helped. Um, And then, yeah, being off, I took a year off in total. For the first six months, it was kind of obviously all baby centric. 
wasn't really thinking about work. I was more just thinking like, how the hell do people do this? Um, and then I came around to the idea of being like, okay, people can work, they can have a family, people do it. Um, and I did a few keeping in touch days, which I really liked, kind of dotted around the last half of my maternity leave. I went to our Christmas party. I think you were there, weren't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was really fun, seeing people again. And just being back into, you know, the real world out of the baby bubble really helped. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that Christmas party. It's there's a, a kind of group of recent mums gathered together yeah. looking a little bit shell-shocked in the corner. <laughs> uh, I remember that sleep-deprived still. So I think I was three months or four months postpartum then or something. Yeah. Wow. So still early days, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, for me, coming back to work, it was obviously a big adjustment, like baby boy starting nursery as well. It all like lines up, doesn't it, at the same time. And there's so that's a big adjustment. constantly for the first oh. four months of nursery. Yeah, they really are. You keep having to take days off work and your other half needs to take days off work. And it's the, yeah, very much juggling at that stage. But yeah, coming back is definitely the tricky bit. Going off and being on maternity from a, from a career perspective, it's more difficult from a lifestyle perspective. Because um, I would I would definitely argue that being at home with a newborn is more difficult than being in the office doing patent work. I don't know about you, but definitely, <laughs> definitely. So you don't have a you don't have a guidelines for that. I know, and I've a couple of the guys in this office up here have had obviously their partners have had babies, they've had paternity leave, but it's good because I can kind of give them the other perspective of what their partners might be feeling, you know, being at home all day whilst they're here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, at least you can go and get a coffee on your own when you're at work. You can, you can go to the toilet on your own. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. But then, um, yeah, apart from what what I didn't appreciate, I knew that once my daughter started into daycare, she was going to get a lot of colds. I didn't know I was going to get them all as well. I got, I, I think I got every single cold or disorder that she got, hand, foot and mouth disease, everything. That yeah, that she caught, I caught as well. So that was a challenge. Yeah, we were the same. And it just adds another level, doesn't it? When you're ill and they're ill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so much worse. You can't just wallow on the sofa. Yes. Um, and, and that's probably an experience of anybody returning from maternity leave to any job. Um, and then, I mean, we, were, we have a pretty cerebral career. We've, we've got to think hard. Um, there's a lot of detail attention to detail is extremely important the the fear that comes from like having to having to do that on like you know on the back of nine months of sleep deprivation that's ongoing um yeah I, I just I remember I remember the first six months back of just being intensely anxiety inducing worrying about missing things and yeah, I think my confidence definitely took a big hit coming back. Yeah. Um, and I think as well, like, you kind of learn a new normal, don't you? Like, you learn that, oh, my body can adapt to this amount of sleep, I think. After it takes a while. But now to me, like, having, you know, five or six hours of sleep, I think, oh, that's fine. I can do the job now. Whereas pre-baby, like, no, I need eight hours and then I still can't. <laughs> do the job 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Natalie, do you have any advice for women who are interested in pursuing a career in science or law that you'd like to share? Um, so, yeah, I was thinking about this ahead of the um, talk and I was thinking my main one is really if you're finding a subject challenging but you enjoy it and you're still, you know, curious about it, just because it's hard, it's not kind of a sign that it's not for you. If you've got a good work, work ethic and you're interested in something, then I think you can really apply yourself to it and do well. You don't have to kind of benchmark yourself against, you know, the more typical, you know, naturally gifted, really super bright people. Um, because you can do just as well in your own way within that um, field. Yeah, that's very, very true. Um, yeah, I was, I was thinking along the lines of, like, I mean, there is, especially if you're doing a PhD or you're in academia at the moment, when you look up, I think that it is difficult to see role models out there and it's you do get the perception that it's going to be a very inflexible career path and it's going to be difficult for you to adapt that to family life. There are careers in STEM which you can adapt to family life and that work really well with it. I mean, one of the things I, I think that having my job, which I get to think really hard in and is very interesting and that I've got to focus on is counterbalanced so nicely by having a child at home. So I just go home, you know, my brain's been so switched on and focused all day and now I'm going home and just like having fun and chatting about her day. And, um, you know, it, just, it feels like there's a really nice balance there that I didn't have before I had a child. Um, yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be put off by thinking that there's a lack of flexibility. If anything, I think they go really nicely together. And if you go into industry or away from academia, if you go into the legal side of um, STEM, and I think there, um, I'm sure there are other legal bits of STEM apart from being a patent attorney. Um, um, and I know there's like science writing and other jobs. So all, of, all of those are going to be very flexible as well. Um, it's not all about doing postdocs. Yeah, I was thinking that, there's a lot of careers in science that kind of bridge the gap between doing a purely scientific job that, you know, is lab-based, which might not necessarily be appealing to everyone, but brings together the kind of maybe a corporate outlook or a more creative, like you say, with the science writing. Um, and those careers are out there. It's kind of looking for them, isn't it? Because both you and I didn't really know what patent attorney was initially, but it's been such a good fit for us. Yeah. Um, it's good to kind of try and have a look past, you know, just a lab because you can still be in science without that. Yeah. And I don't think, I mean, I, I don't think um, people don't go into their degrees or into their PhDs aiming to be a patent attorney. I don't know of anybody who's done that. I think the best thing you can do is just follow what you're interested in because then ultimately like what you end up in, you're probably going to, it's probably going to be off the back of that and you, know, you can work your way towards end up working your way towards being a patent attorney or end up working your way into scientific publishing like you just don't know but the the best way to get there is to just focus on topics that you're interested in and 
concentrate on those and maybe enjoy the journey rather than focusing on what the end goal is going to be but um yeah yeah I think that's right yeah should we talk about like um I think there's one more here your experience how does having a diverse team in the field of patent law benefit the work and the clients um well I think um I think it's really important to have a diverse team from lots of different backgrounds. Um, but for a start, it's going to come naturally in um, patent law because we're all very focused on quite narrow technology areas to bring our expertise to those. Um, and our clients are all very diverse as well. So they'll want to see that reflected in their council. Um, we can all bring different things to the table. Um, and I think it, like, it, it really is systematically important to some of our clients. Um, I uh, heard a story from a colleague who sits close by me in the office. Um, him and another were uh, at a meeting with a, a new client. Oh, and and it, was the, the, it, just happened to be, um, it just happened to be two white men from EIP, but EIP is actually extremely diverse. But just on that occasion, it happened to be two white men. And the client actually asked about that. She said, I, she said, I, I can't help but notice that I'm the only woman in the room here. And I just wanted to ask if that's reflective of the team at EIP, of it, at EIP as a whole. And that they were, they were able to like explain that it wasn't, it was actually quite unusual to end up with two white men at a meeting. Um, but it just goes, it goes to show you that um pe people are very alert to it now and it's not really acceptable um to have teams which are just exclusively white men yeah that's right and having different people can bring different qualities can't it to a team and different kind of talent so to just shut out a you know a minority or whatever is quite closed-minded really because you're mm -hmm. not allowing the full breadth of talent to be appreciated mm, yeah okay great so that wraps up our talk today um, and EIP talks will be back with another episode soon so to make sure you don't miss an edition you can subscribe to EIP talks on Apple Podcasts Spotify or SoundCloud and for more pattern updates, you can follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter by searching EIP. Thank you for listening.